Hey besties, Monica Ferguson here and welcome to World Domination. This is a safe space for absolute legends who are bold enough and brave enough to go within, to recreate their belief system, to aim high, to chase their wildest dreams and become everything that they are destined to be. This is a space for people who are serious about growth, about healing. We talk about all things mind, body, spirit, and we have the courage to go further than most people even dare to dream. Welcome, let's get into it. Hey beautiful people, Monica Ferguson here and welcome to this week's episode where I bring you Dre Baldwin who is the CEO and founder of Work On Your Game Incorporated. He has four TED Talks behind his name, he's written 33 books, he had a nine year professional basketball career and he is here to teach us how to have confidence when you don't, how to think like a champion, how to create success and the real stuff. And I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. It is so amazing. Let us know your aha moments. Let's get into it. Jere Baldwin, welcome, welcome. So nice to have you. I'm excited to be here, Monica. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. And yeah, super, super excited to chat with you. I, um, like I just said, I've stalked many of your TED Talks this morning. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, the way that you describe things. So there was one, and I, I've literally got pages of notes here from your TED Talk that I wrote down, <laughs> but it was the one about how to be confident when you're not. And I was just like sitting there having all these aha moments, like, because it's so, it's tough love, isn't it? And the way that you speak is so powerful because it's like, you need to have it straight. You need to have it delivered to you straight. Like if we're actually going to be successful, we have to be our biggest cheerleader. Like, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or says, like, we have to learn how to cultivate that, that self-belief and that confidence. And I was like, I would love to hear you speak more about this because I feel like, I'm not sure about American culture, but certainly in New Zealand, we have this thing called tall poppy syndrome here, where like, if you come out and you say, I'm going to do this, I have this huge goal, I'm limitless, people will criticize you and shame you and tear you down. And so it's like, it adds another layer, you know, to our ability to achieve the success that we want to create. Yeah, and that does exist in America, it exists in pockets, I wouldn't say it's widespread to where everybody's going to do it that way. But there are, of course, there are people who will do that and try to cut you down and here, uh, yeah, we do. I've heard of the tall poppy syndrome. Here, people use um, here in America. I don't know. Everybody thinks they're so sophisticated, so they use this uh, academic language that sounds really intelligent, but it's masking what's actually happening. A lot of people are fooled by it. So here, they just call it being realistic. Ah, oh, yeah. What you just said, <laughs> and I think I might have said that in the TED talk. I think I might have. And uh, when most people in America, when they say realistic, what they mean is take your ambition from a level 90 down to a level 40. That's what people mean, because somebody will say something like I'll be talking to an entrepreneur and they'll say, well, you know, I want to make I ask them how much money you want to make. And they say, well, I want to make ten thousand dollars a month. That's the that's like the, the number here in America. Everybody says that ten thousand dollars a month. But I want to be realistic and let's just start at $2,000 a month. So anytime someone says I want to be realistic, that means they're going to go from here to here. That's what it always means. Realistic could just as easily be the opposite direction. What's what's stopping you from doing that? And it's what you just said, though. So whereas you said over there, other people will cut you down when you say you have this big ambition, this big goal here in America, people cut themselves down. 
when they have a big ambition and big goal. So it doesn't even make it to the public to get cut down. We do it to ourselves in the mirror before we even get outside. Yeah. Yeah. And I love yeah. that because that definitely happens here. Like, and you notice mm-hmm. when, when people go to speak about what they want and they kind of cushion it, like, oh, exactly. yeah, I need, yeah, I need to be realistic or, or it's this fear of what will you think of me if I come out and say, yeah, like when you said $10,000 a month, I'm like, is that all? Like a million dollars a month. But for right. most people, like my clients will sweat. If I push them to go bigger, they will literally start sweating. Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Um, but what about that person that works down the road that already has an established business and all this kind of stuff? And it's like, it's everything. I had no idea how important this was, this self-belief, this self-talk until I started. And you realize like when shit hits the fan and your nervous system is freaking out and you have no idea how things are going to come together, the only voice that matters is our own. The only belief that we have is our own, right? <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. So, and, um, but, oh, sorry. No, if you go, off you go. <laughs> no, I thought you were waiting for me and then you started going, so you go. I actually, um, I was going to ask you about... Uh, one of those moments that seems like it was really pivotal in your life, which was mm. the exposure camp, that that first one that you went to. And That's it was, right. I had I had goosebumps when I was listening to that because I'm like, I feel like this is that those life moments, mm. right, where it squeezes us to make a decision. Like you either step forward into who you are going to become or you go back to who you were. So right. I would love if you could take us back to that moment and like what happened for you. Great question. Was that in the TED Talk? I talk yeah, about that it was it was <laughs> i don't even know which one that was but okay i'm glad you heard it so uh yes that you are 100 correct and that moment was a a huge moment for me because had i not gone to that event we probably wouldn't be here having this conversation and that was almost 20 years ago so i graduated from college in uh 2004 so my first year out of college i worked you know regular jobs i was working at a gym at the time And I knew I needed to go to an exposure event to make myself known to the professional basketball world because nobody knew who I was. So I negotiated with my boss to get the weekend off because I needed three days so I can go to this event and get back. So I negotiated to get off Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and I had to be back at work on Monday. And uh, we went to that event and it was I had to pay two hundred fifty dollars for the event US and it was in cash. I paid in cash because I didn't even have a credit card or a bank account at the time. Monica. So I actually emailed the event and asked them, can I pay in cash at the door? And they said, yes, you can. Now, later on, as I learned more about these events, I realized they would have took anyone's money in any form, but they acted (laughs) like they were doing me a favor. Right. So $250 in cash. And this event was in Orlando, Florida. I'm from Philadelphia. So people who don't know the geography, that's about a a 19 hour drive from Philadelphia to Orlando. And we drove me and a couple of my former college teammates. Now we're all out of school. We all want to go. So three of us drove down to Orlando and I remember that event because it's only two days. The event's just Saturday and Sunday. So it's not like this is a month long thing where you get to kind of grow on people. You get two days to impress. That's basically what it is. And it's 200 guys in there who all think they're good enough to play pro basketball. So we're all trying to prove ourselves. So you can imagine something like um, a casting call where everybody's just trying to make themselves look good. That's what these events are. It's a meat market type of thing. And you play two games on Saturday, you play two games on Sunday. So I remember the first game on Saturday, I, I was in the game and I played maybe maybe about two or three minutes of game action was going on on the basketball court. And I hadn't really done anything. I wasn't doing anything in that two, three minutes. And a timeout got called 
and we're in the huddle during the timeout and I'm not really listening to the coach. I'm kind of just talking to myself, not actually talking, but just thinking to myself like, hey, uh, you paid your last $250 because the funny thing is that camp, I had to go to my job on Friday because we left, we drove on Friday to get there on Saturday. And I had to go to my job and wait for the the delivery guy to come with our commission checks because I needed the money from that check to pay the $250 at the door, right? And I went to a check cashing place to cash my check because I didn't have a bank account, right? So I remember telling myself like, hey, this is like your last $250 that you're investing into this. And we drove all the way down here and you better do something. If you don't do anything in these games, then this is, this is it. This is your pretty much your last shot at making something happen here. So I just decided to myself during that time out while the coach is talking, okay, next time I get the ball, I'm going to do something because right now I'm doing nothing. So I, I'm not going to just drive down here and do nothing. And next time I got the ball, I went to the hole and I almost dunked on this guy. The ball went in the basket and the crowd was like, oh. So it was like, it gave me, it gave me a little bit of uh, just a confidence boost because, okay, I, I'm doing something. I did something. And I just kept doing things and I had a couple slam dunks there and slam dunks are a big thing in basketball. So I got everybody excited and those plays, just a handful of those plays really got a lot of attention on me during those two days. And that's how I ended up getting a, a pretty good scouting report from that event which is basically a third party, a, a uh, credible third party saying that Dre is good enough to play pro. Then I got the footage from the event. And of course you got the slam dunks on film, which is a great thing. So you got proof of it. And <laughs> that's what I utilized to leverage and basically leverage myself into a pro basketball opportunity. So the whole thing that set that up, first of all, just looking for the event. I was looking for events from January exposure camps are in the summer. So and around January of 2005, that's when I started looking which event will I go to because exposure camps happen in the summer, which is the basketball off season in most of the world. Mm -hmm. So in January, I'm thinking about this and I'm like, I got to save up some money for this. I got to get time off from my job to do this. So all of these things I'm considering and then negotiating for the days off then driving to Orlando. And then you got two days and you no know, two games, back-to-back uh, -back days, and you got to do something to be noticed and be remembered all of that stuff. And then getting back home, because it's not like I signed a contract right on the spot. So I had to go back home, back to work. And then I had to reach out to basketball agents to try to find one who would represent me. Usually the agents are calling the players. I was calling the agents because nobody knew who I was. So all of those things that went into that, that first half of uh, 2005 uh, put me in a position that led to everything I've done since. Crazy. I, and I kind of want people to really understand, like, because I think sometimes you hear someone's story and you think that's nice, but to actually imagine what that was like, like your last money that you had, like you threw every single thing that you had at this, like the ultimate leap of faith and so inspiring. I think it's so amazing. And it's just like, it's courage. Like, there's just so much courage required to do that. And, and like, my question for you is, where did the self-belief come from? Like, how did you find the confidence within yourself to even be bold enough to aim that high, you know, and back mm. yourself? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And I think part of it was just being a, a competitive individual. I've always noticed why I gravitated towards sports was just the comp competitive aspect of it on the fact that I was, you know, I had some athletic abilities. So those two combined is what led it to sports. But then just... I always been a person who just looked long term. I always been a long term kind of big picture thinker, Monica's kind of like a distance runner, metaphorically speaking. Mm -hmm. So when I finished college, I, I had only played a division three level. 
I didn't even play my last year because I had a running with a new coach who had come in and I ended up off the team and I knew I was better than some of my now former teammates in college, but they were on the team and I was not. And I have always been a person who can look at things objectively and rationally, even when talking to myself, like objectively, I got to tell myself the truth. Like I can think I'm good, but I'm not even on the basketball team. So how do I prove for posterity's sake that, you know, I was right? Well, the only thing left was to go to the next level, which was the pro level. So I kept my mind on that, uh, even as I was in limbo and nothing was happening in my life as far as basketball went. And I just kept my mind focused on where I was going to go and the drive to compete against the circumstance. It wasn't even I wasn't even competing against a person. I was competing against the circumstance because I knew that if I defeated the circumstance, it will automatically defeat all the people because most of my teammates who I played with in college didn't play pro. So if I just made it pro, then I already solved that problem. And I made it pro at the same time. So I, I'm basically knocking over all the pins with one bowling ball, if you get what I'm saying. So yeah. that was my that was my mindset. As far as the self-belief to think that I can make it happen, you know, I never I never even thought about it that way. I wasn't even thinking about it like who am I to believe in myself that I can make it pro. All I was thinking about it, the frame I was using, Monica, was okay, I know I can play basketball, but I didn't get to finish out my collegiate career the way that I wanted wanted to. And there are guys who I played with in college who I think that they think they're better than me. So how do I prove that they're not? Right, what can I do that definitively ends that conversation? I say, okay, if I go to the pro level and they don't, then they can't say anything to me. So that was my mentality. That was really how I was thinking about it. And that was the competition that I was having in my own mind against again not a person but against the circumstance because i knew that if i played in college then anybody who didn't play in college could never say anything to me about basketball because they only they didn't play in college and then if i played in the pros anybody who only played in college could say, couldn't say anything to me then and so even at the pro level once i got there i said okay there's some guys here who i don't even think are that good but i see that they're kind of one and done they'll play one year and then they disappear so i said okay I, I need to have a career in pro basketball, not just play one year. I need to, if I can put together multiple years, now I have more of a resume than they do. So I'm always looking at how can I kind of one up this. And again, these are not any individual person. There's like these people that I'm just making up in my mind. They do actually exist, but it's not any one person who I'm thinking about here. It was just, how do I defeat the situation? And uh, Tim Ferriss, who wrote, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with, wrote the four hour work week. He talks about, actually, it wasn't Tim. It was uh, Russell Brunson, the quick funnels guy. Yeah. He talks about the the big domino, that when you're selling anything, if you can figure out what the big domino is, the one thing that your prospect needs to hear or understand, it makes all their other objections go away. So it's the same thing for me. The big domino for me was, well, I would ask myself, what is the big domino? If I can knock over that big domino, then all these other issues disappear anyway. So that's this is the way my mind has always worked. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So how do you help people with this like confidence, you know, when they come to you and they're like, Oh, I want to do this, but you know, but I can't mm. do this, but, but my mom doesn't believe in me. And like, how do you help people blast through all of those kind of internal objections that we have? Great question. So we start with helping people understand what confidence is. Confidence is simply a belief in your ability to do something. And that belief, that confidence is sourced from discipline. So discipline creates confidence. And usually the most genuinely confident people you meet are usually very disciplined individuals. And often you can tell by just watching them. You just watch their behavior. You can see the discipline in what they do that leads to their confidence, at least in a specific area. Then the question is because, excuse me, Monica, I'm sure you know, 
many people tell you that they want to be more disciplined, right? I, I know I need to be more disciplined with this. I want to go to the gym. I don't need to record my podcast more. I need to finish writing this book. I'm going to launch my course. So people talk about all these things that they want to be disciplined at. And then they try to force feed discipline. They try to make themselves be disciplined, which never works. So people need to understand where discipline comes from. Discipline is a byproduct of structure. So you got to put the right structure in place because when you have a structure or a system or a process, we can use those interchangeably in this context, and you follow the structure, then you're going to be disciplined just by following the structure. Anytime you follow a structure, you will have disciplined behaviors that come out of it. And when you're disciplined in that behavior, then you will feel more confident. So what I do with people who want to be more confident is explain to them what I just explained to you. And we put a structure in place for the thing that they need to be more, that they want to be more confident at so that the structure trickles down to discipline that trickles down to confidence. And then that confidence, again, that's just the belief. We haven't done anything yet. Now you have the belief. Now you got to go do the stuff and then you get the result and now everybody's happy. So that's what we do. Love that. Um, and in one of your TED Talks that I listened to, I loved how you spoke about other people and like, um, you know, drowning out their negativity and their projections, especially as we start to grow and you've got all of your friends that are like, oh no, that's dumb. You know, don't do that. Like that's stupid. Because I think this is a huge thing. And certainly the people that I deal with, it's the number mm -hmm. one thing. And I know for, in my life as well, it's been one of the hardest things to let go of almost everyone from my past. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, like my coach said to me, like, where are they going to be in five years? And I'm like, exactly where they are now. And they are, they haven't moved at all. So like, I mm. knew that it had to happen, but it was such a process of um, believing in myself enough to know that I'm going for it, like no matter what, and it will all work out and I will find new friends at a higher level, you know, like all these sorts mm. of conversations, but man, it can get lonely, right? On the path, far out. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is this is something that I've, I even told my audience that over the next five years, if you continue to grow as a person, you're going to lose some of your friends. It's inevitable because most people don't get better. This is and this is something that I tell my audience all the time. Most people don't change over time in life. Most people, they get to you know, the end of puberty, which is about you know, age somewhere between 18 and 25, something like that. And that's the end of voluntary growth. Like If you have any of you have kids under 18, they're still growing. I mean, involuntary, excuse me. So if you have kids under 18, they're growing involuntarily. So even if they don't exercise, don't eat right, don't do anything to make themselves get better, they're going to grow just by themselves. It's just biological. But after that, any growth has to be on purpose. It has to be conscious and intentional, which means you know, after you get out of school, the only way you get smarter is you have to go and choose to pick up a book. It's not because the teacher made you do it. If you get stronger, it's because you chose to go to the gym. If you do make more money, it's because you intentionally did something that increased your income, but it's not going to happen on its own or by itself. So most people don't have the intention, the conscious intention to move themselves forward. Therefore, if you have the conscious intention to move yourself forward, it only makes sense that you are going to separate from those other people. It's just logical, deductive reasoning. That's just the way that it works. So as you grow and as you get better, Yes, you're going to separate from the old people, and then eventually you're going to move into a new group of individuals. And while you know they say it's lonely at the top, it's not necessarily lonely, but it is more spacious, right? There, there's people there. <laughs> yeah. There's people there, it's just not as many, right? Yeah, so yeah. you'll make new friends. The challenge for many people, though, Monica, is the gap in between. Leaving the old people and getting to the new people. You're not quite established up here yet, but you're also, you also just alienated yourself from these people here, so you're in between. And I call this space the void. 
And in that void, that's where a lot of people feel a lot of trepidation, a lot of fear, a lot of, and it can be literally isolation because again, you haven't gotten to the new space yet, but you're no longer in the old space and people's ability to deal with the, the discomfort of being in that void, the better you can deal with that discomfort, the higher the likelihood you'll make it to that higher level. Yeah. I love this. It's so good. This is what I loved about your TED Talks as well. Like the way that you speak about mm. quote unquote failure, but the lessons that we learn and we have to grow through in this space, right? That it's not easy. Like it is not how often you see it portrayed online where you just make a vision board and magically all of your dreams just manifest out of thin air, which is what a lot of people present, you know, this journey right. is. But it's like, that those moments of sitting there at home alone in the weekend because all your old friends have gone and you're like I see no evidence right now that this is working I just all I have is this vision and this pull within me to keep going but I see no evidence and it's like these are the moments that I love to speak about because there are so many of them and the void right what a beautiful way to put it um and it is like how so how do you recommend that people navigate that like what are the key things to move through that in a way that you know means that you come out on top to move through the the void yeah well the first thing is identifying it that's the the first thing with as with a lot of things in life is that when we can put a label on things it tends to calm us down it tends to relax us because we're like okay so this is a thing now now that we know it's a thing this is that's what this is called so now okay at least i know i'm not the only one i know i'm not just going crazy there this is a real thing and other people deal with it so that tends to relax us when we can put a label on it that's the first thing next thing is understanding what it looks like and what it feels like so when you're dealing with that discomfort you it, it, how do i describe this it's um you familiar with louise seneca uh, no. basically the father of stoicism you heard of stoicism yeah okay heard of ryan holiday the author yes yeah okay so he writes a lot of books about stoicism in contemporary sense but the father of stoicism is a guy named louis seneca he was a a general i believe he was roman and he wrote a bunch of letters that he would write back to one of his peers and basically all those letters got gathered together and they put them into a book and they called it letters from a stoic and those are basically the the basically like the Bible of Stoicism are, is that book. And people who write about Stoicism today are sourcing it from that material. So in that book, Letters from a Stoic, which I suggest everybody read, Seneca, at one point, he says that the things that we anticipate coming are better easily bared. It's easier to deal with something when you know it's coming than when you don't know it's coming. So for example, if anyone's ever done a combat sport, you understand that the punch that knocks you out is not the one that is the hardest punch is just the punch that you didn't see coming because you couldn't brace for it. You couldn't prepare for it. So if you know somebody about to hit you, you can brace for the punch, but if you don't see it and they hit you, it can knock you out and it doesn't have to be as strong. It can be half as strong and still knock you out because you just weren't ready for it. So that's the thing when it comes to the void is understanding that there is going to be discomfort here, but as long as you know, it's coming, it's easier to deal with it because you are waiting for it. You're anticipating it. And then knowing that, okay, these are the things that in order for me to get to this higher level, I need to take step one, step two, step three. And usually when someone is trying to get to a higher level, they're doing something, again, consciously and intentionally. So when they feel that discomfort, they understand why they're feeling it. They know exactly what led to it. And when, again, when you know exactly how it's going to happen and then it happens exactly that way, you tend to trust. People will tend to trust. Okay, you told me this is going to happen. You told me it was going to be uncomfortable. It did happen. It is uncomfortable, like you said. 
Okay, so now now what? <laughs> now you'll tend to trust whoever, whoever you got that information from because they told you the truth. So now you're going to do whatever they say next. So it's like if you go to the doctor and you get operated on, the doctor says, okay, tomorrow this is going to hurt. And then tomorrow it hurts. Are you calling a doctor? Okay, it does hurt. What do I do, doctor? And you'll listen to whatever the doctor says. Take this, take this medicine, right? Take these Advil, right? Whatever the situation is. So that's how you deal with that void is just, first of all, identifying it, uh, expecting and anticipating the discomfort, and then just trusting that if I keep following this process that I intentionally signed up for, mm -hmm. I'm eventually going to get to the other side of this. But I knew this was coming and it's much easier to deal with when I can see it coming. Yeah. Love that. And I also want everyone to notice how many times you've used the word intentional in this conversation, because that's mm. all of it, right? Even when we go back to your, you know, your leap of faith in basketball, it was like, you were clear on this is what I'm doing. And I'm, this is my focus. This is what I'm going to achieve. I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to, you know, outwork everyone else. Like that's it. There was no wavering. It's like, it was just focus. I'm going to beat the circumstances. And I think that's so important for people to understand too. Like the intention, the conscious decision, like this is what we're doing. That's right. Conscious and intentional are two words that I use all the time with my audience. Yeah. You had to be thinking because a lot of what we do is unconscious. 85% of our thoughts are unconscious. So you had to get conscious about what you want to do and you have to have a strong intention because if you don't, then you just end up living by default. And by default, most people get to a certain point by their youth, you know, puberty, and then they start going backwards until they end up in the grave. So you want to do the opposite of that. Then you had to be thinking about it. Yeah. Isn't that so depressing yeah. when you put it that way? But 100% true. <laughs> like 100% <laughs> true. Most right. people do live like that. Yeah. Okay. So many of my listeners are people who are kind of on the edge of taking that leap of faith, you know, like they're, um, they know what they need to do, but they're not doing it. So mm -hmm. how would you, how would you advise them to take that, that next step and to move things forward? So this is like starting a business, uh, yeah. investing in themselves, yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. So the number one thing is, so they're on the verge of doing it, but they're just not doing it. What's the, what's the usual reason that they give for not doing the thing? So I was laughing because in your TED talk, it's exactly what you said. It's like fear of not being good <laughs> enough, fear of what other people think. What if I fail? Mm. But then I think also fear right. of success is a big thing too, but it's that they just Absolutely. hold themselves back because of fear, basically. Right. I was just making some content, didn't come out yet, talking about why people fear success. I actually did a... <laughs> Uh, is 30 different points I came up with why people fear okay. success. It's, it's a lot of stuff, but uh, all of those things are real and at least in people's minds. And when someone's really ready to take that leap, one of the most important things you have to do is you got to, you have to stop allowing yourself to think how you've been thinking. And this is one of the things about confidence is yes, it is believing in yourself and having the discipline and the structure and all of those things and you know a positive self-image and all the things that you hear about confidence and from all types of speakers but it's also giving yourself the permission to stop conforming to being the person you've always been that's a big part of confidence as well if especially when you're stepping into something new to step into something new you have to kill off some of the mindset that you had yesterday because you can't become a new person with the exact same mentality that you had as the old person. Something has to be left in the past and something new needs to be picked up into the future. And when you're stepping into a void and stepping into a new space, 
a lot of people ask about, I mean, we start this whole conversation talking about confidence, right? And two of my TED Talks, I talked about confidence. This is a thing everybody wants. Everybody goes online and Google's confidence. So I, I was just serving the market. But when you are stepping into doing something new, you're stepping into that void, as I described, or you're stepping into that new place and being conscious and intentional, you don't need confidence because you don't have any. When you're stepping into doing something brand new you've never done before, you have no confidence because remember what confidence is, is your belief in your ability to do something. Mm -hmm. Well, where does belief come from? It comes from past experience. Mm -hmm. So the only time you can pull on confidence is when you have past experience doing a thing. So if you have no past experience, there is no confidence. Yeah. So what you need, and so I, I'm assuming your clients listen to your show. So in your clients listen to your show right now, Monica's prospects or clients listen to this. You don't need confidence because you don't have any. What you need is courage. Yes. You need courage to step into the new place. <laughs> yeah. You need, and sometimes courage just, and not sometimes, but all the time, courage means taking a step forward into something that you can't even see, but trusting that there will be ground underneath your feet when you take that step. And without that courage, well, you already know what you have. Look around at your current situation. This is what you have. You can either stay there and be confident in your current situation because you have a past experience, 20, 30, 50 years of being like this, or you can choose courage and step forward into the unknown, but the thing that you trust, because you're talking to someone who you trust being your coach is going to be there to guide you. And that's really the main difference. Most people, when they're doing something new, they say, well, I don't feel confident doing this new thing. I'm like, you're not supposed to be confident. Why would you have confidence? You never did this before. You have no reason to be confident. What I need you to be is, is courageous. And then once you take the step forward with courage, you see, okay, I took a step forward with courage and I didn't die. I didn't fall into a, a black hole. I'm still alive. Okay, I can take another step and another and another. And the more you do anything, the more comfortable you get with it. So the biggest thing is instead of looking for confidence, look for courage. And that is a wrap. Thank you for showing up for yourself, for being here. And please let me know your aha moments. I want to hear all about them. For extra support, make sure you're following me on TikTok and Instagram at the Monica Ferguson. Check out the School of Greatness for self-study courses. And of course, if you want one-on-one -on -one mentoring, just DM me and I would love to have a chat with you. Go and slay the day. Thank you for being you. See you soon.